Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us uh, from the 86th Psalm. Psalm, excuse me. Uh, please join me in a responsive reading of verses 11 through 17, printed in your worship bulletin. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. For great is your steadfast love toward me. O God, the insolent rise up against me, a band of ruffians seeks my life. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Continuing in the gospel according to Matthew, now the 24 through the 30th verses of the 13th chapter. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He replied, No, for in gathering the weeds you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Moving to verse 36. Jesus left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, the weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reaper is the angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will be the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and evildoers, and they will throw them into a furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, find their acceptance in you, O Lord, for only you have the words of eternal life. Help us here. Amen. There is a serious problem right in our own backyard. Despite the best efforts of so many, 
There's a rising among us a terrible scourge of near-biblical proportions, choking out the future of otherwise pristine growth and disseminating the tender shoots of hope. It seems no matter how much we labor to eradicate this evil, thinking you've once overcome this vile infestation, it sprouts up again, seeming more virulent than before. In just a moment's distraction, it multiplies, seemingly overnight. And we are faced once again with a scourge against which we must fight. What is the problem of which I speak? Why should we be dedicated to this unending battle for purity? I offer you, my friends, my constant horticultural evil twins, of bindweed and buckthorn, which is all over my backyard. And I have spent years trying to make it stop. As any northern Illinois gardener knows, when you pull the stuff up, whatever you planted is also torn up with it. A few summers ago, towards the end of the season, I finally decided that I had a solution and I went to the garage and got my propane torch. <laughs> and I got down on my knees and lit that blue flame and began to burn out those evil weeds. Danny came out and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get rid of the bindweed and the buckthorn. And she said, I'm going back in the house. You're going to burn down the deck. <laughs> and Jesus' metaphor here in Matthew 13 is about the absurdity of attempting to purify the human heart, let alone the absurdity of trying to purify the world around us. When I was working at the counseling center, I had a client who came in and struggled with an obsessive-compulsive disorder that his doctor had diagnosed called scrupulosity. Scrupulosity from the word scruple. The word scruple, curiously enough, is a Latin word that means tiny rock. A scruple is a tiny rock, as one that gets stuck in your shoe and makes you aware of it with every step. He had scrupulosity, and that was his disorder. The way in particular his scrupulosity unfolded was to obsess over all of the connected events for which he was ultimately responsible. Things that he had done created bad things in the world. By association, almost every bad thing that happened could be traced to something he had done. It was his fault. He told me one day he was downtown and he saw a dead pigeon on the ground. He felt bad for the pigeon and wondered how it had come to its demise. He then remembered that a few days before, he'd spit out a piece of gum without wrapping it in paper and throwing it in the garbage. In his mind, that pigeon had eaten that piece of gum and developed a fatal bowel obstruction. And this poor innocent creature had suffered and died because he had been careless. He was inconsolable for days. This occurred, I have to say, in my early days as a counselor, so I naively thought that I could reason him away from assuming he was the one who had committed pigicide. 
it didn't matter that there were hundreds of other ways that the bird could have come to an untimely end. In fact, we didn't even know if the bird had died in an untimely time frame. Perhaps the bird had lived out its days into full maturity and died very peacefully in front of the Picasso, admiring the modernist work of that great Spaniard sculptor. But I lost track of the sight that what he had was a disorder. And so logic was not going to work. In Jesus' day, this illusion of human perfectibility had reached an obsessive pitch. It was there in the details of the law. Every command in the Hebrew Scriptures contained an associated set of ritual behaviors calculated to ensure absolute precise execution to prevent the violation of any statute. It was believed that if you did everything within the confines of these ritualized behaviors, you would purge yourself from any culpability for evil in the world. So there was a law. It said, don't boil the kid in its mother's milk. And you think about it, that's kind of gross. Why would you boil your meat in the milk of the mother that had birthed it? But that got turned into... Don't ever eat milk and meat together. You just, you know, never know. You don't know where the milk came from, and you don't know where the meat came from, so milk and meat were separated, so you didn't accidentally violate the law. The law said give one-tenth of your produce as an offering unto the Lord. And that became the painstaking task of counting how many mint leaves you were harvesting from your mint plants and grinding the cumin and setting aside one-tenth throughout the harvest. Don't work on the Sabbath, says the command. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That turned into wearing special Sabbath sandals that were slightly lighter weight so that your feet wouldn't do too much work and violate the commandment. Also, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy became... Don't heal the sick or the lame on that day. It might be work. It might be too much effort. And you wouldn't do effort on a holy day. Better that they stay sick than you violate God's command. Who knows what evil could come from recklessly doing good. I'd suggest that we are living in an age a scrupulosity that all around us we have been conditioned into thinking that the cumulative effect of our daily choices is destroying the world and killing the planet now don't get me wrong I think they are if we don't figure out how to address excessive fossil fuel consumption and the carbonization of the atmosphere the weather is going to significantly become more and more disastrous. We're equally and appropriately distressed over forever chemicals that are in our seas and have significant consequence for marine life and, by association, life on the planet. These are real problems, and they are linked to real human behaviors. But at what point do we cross over from constructive attention into an obsessive paralysis. 
Because if you think about it long enough and hard enough, every impaired sea turtle and every dead pigeon really is your fault. I'm not even sure if I want to be associated with you callous, gum-spitting pigeon murderers. The question Jesus raises in this parable is, is our desire to eradicate the weeds also trashing the wheat? Nobody thinks that allowing bide weed and buckthorn to dominate the garden is a good idea. But what the landowner tells his servants is don't trash the whole field in the name of trying to save it. It'll be sorted out in the end. In the meantime, think about what you're destroying in your quest for purity. There is, I'd suggest, a greater concern than environmentalism. There's something even more important than fair wealth distribution. It's how we treat one another in our quest for good outcomes. Our singleness of purpose is not to create a pristine world. That may be a byproduct of what we do, but to care passionately for the people who reside in that world. The same people who are being choked by our collective carelessness. If we are all bailing in the same sinking ship, then why are we fighting over who has a better bucket? Suddenly, when we telescope back from this parable about the immediacy of the weeds, the owner of the field is well aware that his staff could be sent out into the fields to tear up the weeds and the wheat and trash the whole thing. But that would not only destroy the future harvest, it would take them away from other, more productive work. There were vegetables to be watered. There were animals to be tended. There were fences to be repaired. And while they were out eradicating every last weed, nothing else would get done and the whole farm would be completely jeopardized. The secret for my scrupulous client was not logically discussing and dissuading him of his obsessive thinking, but distracting him to think about something else, something more productive. And I'd suggest every time some cause or some issue or some great and mighty task tempts us to treat our neighbors with contempt or disrespect, we need to change the subject. If our wholehearted task is to bring reverence and glory to the Lord, as our psalm told us, then how we actually treat each other should be our greatest priority. Yeah, there, there, there are weeds out there. There sure are. And we should attempt to do something about them. We have a great deal to do to repair and heal the world. But we're not going to get anywhere if in our diligence for a weedless world we fail to love one another. Don't burn down the deck. We might need it. Amen?
Let's stand together and affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of the earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. 